welcome to Legacy Church. Um, we're going to go ahead and begin with a song of worship. We'll hear from Luke, and then after that, we'll be able to have an opportunity maybe to worship and respond to what we've heard from, from God's Word. So if you're out in the foyer, come on in. We're going to go ahead and begin with our first song. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we'll, we'll get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And um, Lord, I just want to pray that as we come in today, uh, that we would be about you and about your glory and who you are. Um, Lord, help us to uh, really remember the cross and just the fact that, Jesus, you have come and you have died for us so that we can have a relationship with you, so that we can know you. Um, Lord, we love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. 
eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The men measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. And he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through. And the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah, and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Jesus, for coming here and um, living in this world and then dying for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Great job, guys. Great work. Thank you so much. Go ahead and make yourselves comfortable. I'd like to introduce somebody. It's one of the co-founders of our church. It's Kevin Gentry. He'd like to talk to you about some of the work he's doing with artists right now. And some of you don't know this, but me and Kevin were two of the three of us who helped build this church from the living room. And we started way back in Tampa Bay. And Kevin, what he's going to talk to you about today, these are convictions and values that run so deep that there are things that I've heard from him for over 10 years. So what he's about to say, he really means. This is something that he's prayed and labored over for, for quite a while. So you ready? Thanks. All right. There you go. Uh, so good morning. Uh, I'm Kevin. And uh, I lead a creative, creatives cohort. Uh, this is a community of artists, and uh, it's a community of artists that are serious about their art form, and there's a diversity of art forms, uh, getting better at it, um, you know, sharpening each other in it, developing it. We're also serious about exploring and growing in how faith and art live together, how they inform each other. Uh, how they can be integrated in every way, in the way that we move and live and relate to each other as created beings created to create. One of the ways we've done this is if we cre we've started a, a monthly space, you know, we call it a space. It's a literal space. It's also, uh, it's figurative. And and what it's, we just get together and we have a discussion, a panel. And so we invite artists and we invite creatives to it. 
So once a month, we sit around, we have some coffee and pastries, and, and we discuss these things, and we really try to get in deep. Uh, and and it's, it's really a high-welcome, low-challenge sort of doorway where we invite people into community at that point uh, so that discipleship can happen, so that evangelism can happen, so that fellowship can happen, often simultaneously. And it's a point of contact. We bump into each other, hit it off, and further these relationships outside of this space. So an example, uh, I've got, a, I know a couple of artists through work, uh, and the other night, a few of us went to their art show, went to the exhibit that they had uh, at Ironworks Studio, and we're there to support them. You know, we want to share our lives with them, pour into them the way Jesus has poured into us, share our very selves with them the way Jesus has shared his very self with us, meet uh, one of the artists' dad, meet their friends, professors, we really got to do that, and it was, it was great. It was a beautiful moment. Those are the moments we're looking for more and more. So here's my hope, uh, my prayer for uh, us, Legacy, and for Knoxville. Yeah, it, it is for us to get better at this. Uh, you know, this is the Great Commission. It's, it's something that we're called to do. Uh, I, I, we want to get better. We want to get more creative with it. But more importantly, this is my prayer, that we enjoy this, that we have a blast doing it. I mean, the Great Commission, we get to do that. This is something we're saved to. And so Jesus did it for us. I pray that it's our joy that we, in turn, do it for others. Pray for us? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Father, I thank you for... Thank you for your son and your love for us through him. Uh, thank you for pouring your whole self into us, giving us your very best, giving us everything, giving us life. Um, and Father, I pray that uh, we will enjoy and really have a good time turning around offering this life to our neighbors, to our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, buddy. I love you, man. So if you guys know of an artist or a creative, <clears throat> and they're not here, but they might be interested in something like that, you should get in touch with Kevin before you leave and maybe hand off a name or a number or something like that, because he would, he would follow up on that, I know. Um, but yeah, thank you for doing that. That's hard work, man. That's hard work. I would just come for the coffee and the pastries, and then I'd have to leave. I can't even pay by number. So, But I'm, I'm glad to know there's discipleship efforts in that, that arena of our city. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. It's a very valuable passage for us. I love this passage. I need this passage. I think it's going to help us see Jesus much more clearly today, um, especially maybe a, a portion of you. So this is going to be Jesus speaking. He's going to be teaching in this moment. And we're going to start in verse 25. I'm just going to read for a little bit. And then we're going to walk through this here in a moment. But this is the word of the Lord for us today. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, 
Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's going to be helpful for us. You know, as a culture buff, one of the things I'm fascinated with is how companies, industries, and economies rise and fall. Some of them, they just come out of thin air, and then it seems like 20, 30 years later, sometimes two months later, they just disappear. I mean, it's in your life, yeah, your lifespan, if you're sitting here, that Sears is disappearing. Toys R Us is disappearing. Blockbuster, for some of you, in your lifespan has disappeared, right? These, are, these were giants at the time that it would have been inconceivable that they would have disappeared. And we have, in the same lifespan, seen other companies come out and cut their own industry out, like Uber, out of thin air, or Garmin, or trackables, anything that tracks. These are, these are new economies, new industries. And one of the industries that I'm most fascinated with that is blooming in your lifetime that did not exist one generation ago is what's called the anxiety industry. The anxiety one. This is the flurry of services and products that caters to the anxious heart. Right? So we're talking about fidget spinners. We're talking about breathing apps and weighted blankets and CBD oil and happy lamps and UVB lamps and essential oils and supplement after supplement after supplement with 15 prescription medications to follow after. I mean, there is an economy built just for the disquieted soul, and I've given a ton of money to it. I'm sure some of you have as well, because statistically, over one-third of you have done yoga in the last 12 months, right? And, and an even larger percentage of you own an oil diffuser at home, which is fascinating to me. Hey, that works, by the way. Don't knock it till you try it. I'll come home from a busy day at work, and I'll walk in to be greeted with a wall of patchouli or lemon verbena or whatever else we're rocking through the diffuser that day, and it, it does make a difference. I've got an app on my watch. I've got an app on my phone, and it guides me in breathing exercises, and I can literally, with my own two eyes, watch my heart rate fall, watch my heart rate variability rise. I know my blood pressure is dropping. Uh, my sleep apps measure my anxiety level and how it, it pushes me up or down. We have special light bulbs. We have special foods. We have special supplements. We have special technology. Take all of my money. Take it all. But here's the big question. With such a vibrant economy, why is it that many of us still feel helplessly threatened? Or as Dan Allender says it better than me, why do we feel like small people in a big person's world? Because, I mean, fidget spinners, let's be honest, it cannot remedy the terror that we feel in our hearts. Anxiety is a very real thing. And no one's impervious to it. It doesn't matter what your Myers-Briggs said about you or your disc or your Enneagram. You could be an ambivert extrovert, introvert, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, none of that matters. Everyone in this room, we see a danger coming to us, we feel ill-equipped to deal with that danger, and something in the back of our minds tells us we could be destroyed. And what we do is we'll look at people differently, we'll look at ourselves differently, we look at God differently, it affects even the way we see reality. It affects us down to our very core. In fact, to better understand how anxiety can affect your normal everyday life, there's a concept that, that's helpful for me to remember. It's called the leitmotif, all right? L-E-I-T-M-O-T-I-F. I think it's a German word. I'm almost positive of it. The leitmotif is actually a bar of music, a, a shorter bar of music, and it will show up in operas. You'll see it in movie soundtracks a lot. It's a small bar of music meant to evoke a theme or a feeling in you whenever you hear it. So think of Jaws. The strings that start to play when that oversized shark takes down another tourist, right? That you know when you hear it, it's, it's go time. The shark's on the scene, right? Or Star Wars when you hear the Imperial March. Those are light motifs, right? They evoke something in you. You have an expectation. Anxiety can do this. Anxiety, nervousness, worry, panic, horror, terror, all the different levels. They can be a leitmotif of our lives, kind of running in the background, taking a seat at every table we find ourselves at, finding yourself in the middle of every thought we have. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be on vacation. You could be at work. You could be paying the bills. You could be hanging out with the kids. You could be on a date, and it's there. 
It's there, your leitmotif telling you that you are not in control, but you should be in control, and because you're not in control, destruction is quick at hand. Listen, there is a biblical principle that we should be vigilant or sober. You'll, you'll see the Bible talk to it as sobriety or being sober. It does not just mean not being drunk. Sobriety means to have a vigilant eye looking at the landscape of our world so that when a fire pops up, we can deal with it, right? Anxiety is when vigilance has gone toxic. We'll call it hypervigilance. And it's not just seeing a fire that happens to be there. It's imagining fires all over the place, especially when they don't even exist, when they're not there. It's as if we've stumbled into some world where something huge and great is being required of us, but we don't have the tools, we don't have the skills to deal with it. Because again, we're small people in a big person's world. So I felt like today would be a good day to just kind of take a peek into this passage because the holiday season is one where we see a complexity in how anxiety is and a concentration. It gets a little complicated this time of year. The next 10 weeks, you're gonna see it. We're all gonna feel it. I like the meme that says it's time to switch from normal anxiety to festive holiday party anxiety. <laughs> That's a real thing. The next two months is going to be crippling for some of you. And some of you are living with people that they're going to be crippled by the anxiety that comes just in the next 10 weeks. I mean, consider some of the things that you will experience just in the next brief season. There's family anxieties. Because now, I mean, if you've got kids, you've got banquets, you've got dinners, you've got parties. This kid's got a party, we've got a work party, we've got a church party, we've got a comm group party. Parties everywhere. And there's an anxiety that comes with that, right? But what if you've got to travel or if you've got family coming in? Family that is not so easy to deal with. That's a different kind of anxiety, but it's still an anxiety, isn't it? It's a real thing. Painful memories come along with family members sometimes in the holiday season. What about work anxieties? Did your workload increase here recently? Something called an evaluation waiting for you in December? Deadlines, goals, what about identity anxieties? I mean, this is a time of year for deep reflection, whether you like it or not, it's coming your way. How did that Bible in a year program work for you this year? Did you lose the weight you wanted to lose? Did you read the books you wanted to read? I mean, this is a time where we look back and we start to see a bunch of what we think is failures in the year that we're finishing. Goals missed. We could have communal anxiety, just relational anxiety. Some of you, you don't have family members to go and visit, and you don't really have any coming to see you. So this could be a real lonely time for people. If not for you, people that you're around, they're going to feel real lonely right now, right? Or, <laughs> I mean, some of us, we have social anxiety, and, and social anxiety is hard to understand with people that don't struggle with it. You know you have social anxiety whenever you're waiting in a drive-thru and before you get to the speaker, you're rehearsing what you're going to say because you're nervous about how it's going to come out and how it's going to be received. You might have a little bit of a social anxiety and parties can be rough for you. And where do we find a lot of parties? Right now, this time of year. What about expectation and cultural anxieties? Should you go to that party, not go to that party? Do you get a gift? Well, what if they get you a gift? Then you've got to get them a gift, right? You have all that garbage to deal with. What about seasonal anxieties? I mean, where did the sun go? It's gone. In 122 days, it'll be spring. Then it will come back. Right now, it's gone. I'm sorry. Some of us have seasonal affectional disorder or something kind of like it. Or maybe our energy is just low this time of year. Anxiety just feels concentrated to a lot of people in this season. And the closer it gets to Christmas, the more concentrated it feels. I mean, consider the movie It's a Wonderful Life for a moment, an epic Christmas classic. It starts off with a suicide attempt, doesn't it? Doesn't he throw himself into a river? George Bailey gets it. He knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. This is a tough time of year when you reflect over a life. This is when it all happens. So it's a good time to look at how Jesus engages the nervous and anxious heart. Listen, he's good at this. He's good at this. If you're anxious or nervous or terrified, let Jesus work with you through this passage. I mean, the gospel is perfect for the anxious hearted. If you've got anxiety, the gospel's perfect news for you. Perfect. I mean, it doesn't just save you. This is what we believe about the gospel. It's not just a message or a story that saves you from death. It also sustains you through the worries and the nervousness and the anxieties of this world. 
It doesn't just rescue you from the penalty of sin. It doesn't just rescue you from being enslaved to different sins. It actually solves your current nightmares, which you're dealing with right now. So the gospel is definitely very helpful for the hypervigilant and the toxic. And for a lot of us in this room, it's going to range. We're going to see a range of different kinds of what we'll just call anxiety. So what I thought I would do is kind of give you, uh, because I am an anxious person, I'm a nervous person, I'll give you kind of a, a peek into the brain of a, an anxious person. And the basic beginning would just be traditional worry, right? Where the brain says, hey, Luke, here's a good memory. Oh, wait a minute, with somebody who actually really hurt you. And then I say, well, why? Why, why, did, you why, why did you bring this to me? And the brain says, just because. That's what it's like. You can't enjoy certain memories. You get nervous, just basic worry. What about common anxiety? It graduates to anxiety where we say, where our brain says, hey, what are you doing? We say nothing, I'm just relaxing. So the brain says, would you like to think about all of your failures? Us? What? No. The brain says, and away we go. You can't turn it off. But that graduates to a frightened panic. This is what happens. Good night, brain. Brain says, Psst, what? What disease do you think we have? <laughs> it's hard to sleep. But then frightened panic, it grows into sheer terror. This is what happens when people say, hey, I have something really important to talk to you about, but I can't do it right now. I have anxiety. Tell me right now. By the way, if you do that, don't do that to people. Just don't tell them you have something to say. Just wait till you want to say it and then say it. That'll ruin a weekend. That'll ruin a week right there, right? The sheer terror of how bad is it going to be? Or pure horror, where the brain says, hey, do you think we're finished? And we say, I'm not really sure, maybe. The brain says, I think you're right. You're not sure, and you're probably finished. You see, some of us can round these bases very fast. I can get from nervous to sheer horror before you could sing, don't worry, be happy, right? Which is not a very helpful song. I could get there very quick. And this sounds like crazy talk to a lot of people, maybe even in this room. I'm not sure where everybody's at on this, but I know different people have different thresholds for anxiety and for worry. So some of you, you don't lose sleep over things. You don't see fires all over the place. The mortars aren't going off every day. You even think insurance is probably dumb. You probably don't even insure anything, and you don't lose any sleep over anything. But I'll tell you what, you're married to people that are. Your kids are going to be like this, maybe. It's possible your neighbor struggles with this. There are people around you. So it's good for you to know how Jesus ministers to the anxious heart. It's good for you to know this. Because handing them a book, not helpful. A fidget spinner or a punching bag or a coupon for a massage, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. So if this is you, the panic resistant, and as a compassionate missionary, listen and pay attention to how Jesus ministers to the disquieted soul. Because I'll just be honest, when people are anxious, they can't see straight. They can't see straight. They, they don't see anything in reality. They see themselves as way too small. They see the problem as way too big, and they don't see God anywhere close. Everything is off. It's a sinister thing that happens. God seems weak, uninvolved, uncaring. Because after all, if he was strong and loving and caring, then why would we be in such a mess like this? And if God is absent, then we'd better clock in. And since we're a small person in a big person's world, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to worry over. There's a lot of contingencies to build so that we don't, we don't become destroyed. Here's the good news, though. Jesus understands this pressure better than we do. It's hard to think of Jesus in these terms, and so a lot of us don't. But he sweat blood. He faced the cross. Jesus Christ was tempted to let panic and terror rip right through his soul. He was tempted to do that. He was tempted. He was tempted in every way you were tempted. This is what the author of Hebrews meant in the fourth chapter when he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when you hear Jesus teach on worry and anxiety and nervousness, Hear me, he's not as some teachers today that will just get up and speak on something they've never experienced. This is content he's very, very, very well acquainted with. 
So I thought what we could do is just walk through these verses pretty quickly, but just to get an idea of why he's doing this passage the way he's doing this passage. It's written uniquely, okay? So let's look at verse 25, Matthew 6, 25. He starts off saying, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, this is basic Bible reading 101. Anytime you start a passage or start to study a passage that begins with the word therefore, you're always going to want to take a quick glance backwards. You're going to want to look at the two or three or pages, verses, passages before that because it's establishing content and therefore is a connector. Right, So it's connecting past content to current thought. And so the last passage was dealing with how we handle money. That makes total sense right here. It makes total sense because we often use money to purchase a quiet soul. How do we know that? The anxiety industry. Oh, we do. We use money to buy ourselves a sense of peace. Now, when we read through this, you will see that Jesus says, do not be anxious five times. That doesn't seem very helpful to me at first. I mean, when someone is anxious, someone just saying, don't be anxious over and over again, it's like telling someone to not be tall anymore or to stop being tired. It doesn't feel like it's got any teeth or helpfulness in it, but Jesus is doing it. Jesus is doing it, and this is how he does it. Around those five declarations or those five imperatives that he's putting on us, he has nine arguments and reasons and logic that he's going to weave through this to help an anxious heart, which is hard because Jesus is attempting to reason with something the experts say today cannot be reasoned with. Read an average book on fear and anxiety, and your average scholar, your average professor will say that fear and anxiety, it is impossible to reason or apply logic to it. It can't be reasoned with. But Jesus didn't get that memo here. He's going to do it anyway. And so he starts off by saying, do not be anxious with your life. And he is understanding what our heart's already answering, which is, but I need things. I need something to eat and something to drink and something to wear. I need, I need stuff. I need my job to be a little bit better. I need my marriage to grow up. I need my kids to, I need, I need, I need. I just need, I need. So Jesus says, listen, if I'm careful with you, your heart beats, how you draw breath in, how you spend breath right back out, then the things that you think you need are very well within my grasp. But again, again, the anxious heart says, yeah, but how do I know? How do I know? I don't feel it. I don't see it. And so he starts to reason even deeper with us. So look at the next verse in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay, so he's reasoning, pause. He's reasoning with bird activity. I'm telling you, as an anxious person, the last thing an anxious person wants to hear is a teaching moment. I don't want to be taught. I want an answer. I mean, give me an answer. I don't want a platitude. I don't want something pithy. I don't want this to be this learning moment. Just put the fire out that is right in front of me. That's what an anxious person wants, but he doesn't do it. He points to how they store food. Birds don't have a process for that. They don't have a biological process for that. They get food for one day, go to sleep, wake up, they do it all over again, right? So anxiety is not driving them to store something like food. But the anxious heart says, what? Yeah, but come on, I mean, birds die all the time. <laughs> and they don't have to fill out the long form, and they don't have a, a, a sick mother-in-law, and they don't have four work parties to go to. They don't have all of that stuff. So again, not very helpful. So why is Jesus doing this? Why is he doing something like this? He is reassuring us that as valuable as a bird is to us, we are of far more value, and so we are free from the need to protect ourselves by hoarding and storing. But what is it that we hoard and store? Time, money, and listen, we waste today because we're storing for tomorrow. Classic worry person. This is what they do. They're so worried about the fire that's not even happening yet tomorrow that they have forgotten to live today. They don't enjoy today, they can't be creative today, they can't think deeply today, they can't build relationships today because everything is on fire tomorrow. That's what's happening right here. And the nervous person knows when they're doing this. We try to convince people that we're just being wise stewards and we're just thinking about things that could happen. That's what we try to do. But really what we're doing is we're building contingencies just in case God really isn't God after all. 
We're building a plan just in case God really does fail us, doesn't love us, doesn't care about us, and is not strong. And then he continues to reason with us in verse 27. So look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Still reasoning with the anxious, now he's pointing to productivity as a way of trying to help us. Because what do we do? We plot and we squirm and we strategize to build solutions to problems that really haven't even shown themselves as a genuine problem yet. And why do we do that? because it's energizing. The very thought of solving a terror before it really hits you in the face is energizing, which is why some of you can't sleep at night, because we're up spinning through the mind, right? Working through all the things that could be horribly wrong, and if we can fix them ahead of time, it's just as if our hands are on the problem and we're building our own safety and our own security, and that is energizing. It is for me. Now, is it productive? No, it's just busy. It's just busy. For the hypervigilant, they are convinced, I am convinced that if I can work through enough schemes and contingencies that not only will it add an hour or two to my span of life, it will save my life. It will save it. But it's a lie. It's tearing you apart. It tears the anxious person limb from limb, unable to sleep, cannot be creative, you can't live freely today, cannot enjoy today, you can't give yourself license to do so because you are busy preemptively doing damage control for something that doesn't even exist yet and likely will never happen. And that, friends, will wreck the body faster than most anything else. That'll destroy the human frame. You can put out fires that haven't started yet, you could do that and you'll be busy, but you won't be productive. You'll just be busy. And this is what you'll be busy doing. You'll be busy trying to be God. Hear me now, that's a sin, what I'm talking about. We will be busy trying to be God himself. Only God is without the, the danger of something sneaking up on him. Only God is without that threat. Only God can see and handle all the fires that pop up. Only God knows what's going to happen. Only God can part the seas, stop planet rotation, stop death, create life. These are things that only God can do. So anxiety for me, anxiety for you many times is nothing more than just an attempt to be like God. To fix a problem in ways only God would be able to do it. This is what Adam tried to do, by the way. Rewind, go back to the garden. Adam was trying to be God. It's, it's a traditional sin. So sometimes anxiety is something that attacks you. Sometimes anxiety is something that presents itself to you, like it did in Jesus' case. And then sometimes anxiety is something that we embrace because of the lie that we could actually solve it. So look at verse 28. He's going to continually reason with us. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Okay, let's pause for a moment because now he's reasoning, but not using birds, not using productivity. He's using flowers, flowers. Again, doesn't seem very helpful to an anxious heart because this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, sure, flowers don't worry. They also don't last very long. They also don't last very long. The Bible even says that. But what he's saying is his flowers are... what. Let me just say it this way. It's not talking about whether the person is clothed or not. I think we read into this passage sometimes. I think it's a traditional error where we read that and it's about just having clothes. It's talking about a type of clothing and how it makes us look. We don't just want to be clothed. That wasn't a real big problem for the Hebrew church in this moment. It was what the clothes said about the person. And it was about how people interpreted you based on what you had. And so what he's saying is that even Solomon, who had the best wardrobe in all of ancient history could not keep pace with a basic lily, and they only hold their bloom for about three weeks. And he couldn't do it. And then he continues to reason with us. Look at verse 31. He says, Therefore do not be anxious, he says again, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Right? 
So now Jesus is reasoning, but he's pointing to the Gentiles, those who do not know God, those who have anxieties like Christians do, yet they will take money and control and time and they will blow today and live for tomorrow in order to solve their issues. They chase after anything that tells them that they will have peace, anything, and yet they're detached from God and it means that anxiety is their leitmotif. Anxiety is their leitmotif. And when we chronically embrace anxiety, it makes us look like we're atheists. People who must be God because God is absent. I mean, that's what it looks like when you and I do that. When we're chronically anxious and chronically sick over panic and terror, it makes us look like we are scared that we cannot be God enough and our God is nowhere to be seen. That's an atheistic worldview. And so how we handle anxiety preaches the gospel. It preaches whether we really believe God is strong or good or present. The good news for me is if he vacated the panic and the horror of the grave, he can do anything. If he did those things, he can do absolutely anything. God's strength and his love as a father is our new leitmotif. That is our new bar of music. That is our new song that shows up and takes its seat at every table and shows up in every thought that we have. Not that we could be destroyed as a small person in a big person's world, but that Jesus, as the pure God-man, came down and became a person that would stand in the gap for us and trade places with us as an expression of God's strength and his love, vacating even something as nightmarish as a tomb. That's our new song. That's what we have. And then he brings it to a climax in the 33rd verse. 33 and 34, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, again, another therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient the day is its own trouble. Okay, what we see here is your anxiety will end when you seek the kingdom and God's righteousness. That's how they're connected. That's the argument he's building. Right? Now when it says seek the righteousness or seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, it's not talking about looking for something that's hidden that you just can't find. It's talking about seeking opportunities in which God's rule and reign in your life can be extended out to the people and, and anything around you. That's what it's talking about, seeking the kingdom. Because God's kingdom is his rule and his reign. If you are a Christian, his rule and his reign is active in your life. You are a kingdom person, a new resident in a new kingdom with a new flag, a new king, a new currency, a new value system, a new everything, right? But it's not totally finished yet. The kingdom reign is not extended over the totality of the globe. It will happen, but it's not yet. This is why when people talk about the kingdom, they say it's the already not yet. It's already currently working in the church. It's not yet totally seen across everywhere in all, through all sets of eyes. It's not seen like that yet. Now, it will one day. One day that will happen. Jesus will come back. His kingdom will reign. Everyone will see. But right now we have anxiety to contend with. So the crippling problem of anxiety actually finds its answer in how we make Jesus' reign and his righteousness our top priority. And it doesn't look like it would be something that would fit, but it does. Trusting and centering ourselves on Jesus' reign in and through us, it overwhelms the temptation for you and me to spin our way through life, to medicate our anxieties all through this life. Because think about it, when you're centered on the reign in the kingdom of God, you're no longer centered on the reign in the kingdom of your own life. It's free to come apart at the seams. It's not your focus. It's not your priority. When you're centered on his strength and his control to hold the universe together, you no longer have to focus on your strength and your control to hold your universe together. It's free to come apart. It's free to come apart and not ruin you. When we're centered on Jesus' righteousness given to us, then not even death holds a nightmarish grin over our lives. It doesn't. Not even death. Not even death. Now, there's a controversial portion of this passage, and if you didn't know it was controversial, I'm about to make it controversial for you. But this is how I understand, and all these things will be added to you. 
okay? This is how I understand it. This is going to be new for some of you. All the food and drink and clothing and everything else that you need to do and glorify God. That's what it means when it says all these things. Everything that you need to do to glorify and reflect his glory. This seems contrary to many people because a lot of Christians have starved, been naked, chased from place to place, and have perished at the hands of persecutors. So when you read a passage like this, I mean, if we're going to be honest readers of a very honest Bible, you have to ask yourself, what happened? I mean, is this a promise or is it not a promise? Seriously. I mean, come on, Luke, what about the church who starved and were naked and persecuted? Was God's promise null for these people? No, it was not. But this might mean his purpose is for you to die for him. And even then, he will supply everything that you need to do his glory. Does that sound odd? That he'll supply what you need to do something like die? It doesn't sound like something a nervous person ever wants to hear. Yet it's the greatest news you ever could hear. I mean, let me explain what I mean. We'll put it up on the screen. This will be Romans 8.32. 8.32 and then 35 through 37. Will God not also, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? He's kind of repeating the same thing that Jesus is saying, Paul is. Will we not be given all things? All things. And then he continues and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. I mean, there's so, so much similarity in this language. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Gracious, it doesn't sound like it to me. What on earth could you be conquering in a passage like this? It doesn't sound like you're conquering anything with tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and sword and danger and worry and nervousness and lost sleep and panic and in sheer terror. What are we conquering? It's confusing. Hear me. Famine and nakedness, it might come to you. It might come to you, but those aren't your nightmares anymore. Those aren't your nightmares anymore. You'll have everything you need to be more than a conqueror, even if conquering means only overcoming death. Even if it only means overcoming death. An anxious heart, hearing something like this, it, it, it might not bring peace at first, but consider that even upon death, you'll be cared for by a loving Father who is giving all things to you, and not just all things, all things you ultimately want. Everything you ultimately wanted. This is something that I say at funerals sometimes or when I'm trying to pastor somebody who has lost somebody, somebody maybe that was kind of young to go, someone that felt more ripped away from us than just kind of sailing away from us. Those are hard. And one of the things that I've tried to use to bring peace is if you could have one more conversation with that person that you were so sad that is gone and that you're going to miss, if you could have one more conversation and you tried the best you could to talk them into coming back, they wouldn't even come close to doing it. They wouldn't want to come back. They're fine where they're at. Why? Because God has added all of these things to them. Everything has been added to them. Not for one second would they come back. What they would tell you instead is that the Father has carried that promise true and supplied everything for them. He is true on his promise. Let me tell you what it cannot mean, this passage. It cannot mean that if you perform well here and you focus really, really hard on his kingdom, that he'll just hook you up, that he'll give you stuff. Prosperity coming here on earth whenever we do things for God. It can't mean that. It's a very anti-gospel way of looking at how God interacts with us in such a transactional way. All these things means all you need to enjoy and glorify God here no matter where you are. And that is the finest place to be. Listen, the most satisfying moment you could ever have, the most beautiful moment you can ever have, is when you are truly enjoying Jesus. And where do you enjoy Jesus the most? When you are reflecting his glory the deepest. That's why he's able to say these things. And so Jesus finishes his reasoning by pointing to today, by just saying tomorrow is going to be anxious enough. Tomorrow's going to be anxious enough. 
So don't worry about it. There is trouble for every day, and then there is grace for everyday troubles. There's troubles that are going to be born tomorrow that you haven't even seen yet. That's, that's the bad news, okay? You're going to have new, new problems tomorrow. Add it to the menagerie problems you've already got. You'll have new ones tomorrow, okay? Small, big, doesn't matter. They're going to come. But you'll also have new grace tomorrow, fresh grace, more Holy Spirit, more grace to help you navigate these things. This is in Lamentations 3. Go, go and look at Lamentations if you're fast. If not, it will be up on the screen. Let's just put it up on the screen. There it is. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is a very valuable passage for you and me. And I'll tell you why. Because anxiety ultimately is an emotion. And Jesus assumes that whenever we apply truth to our life, that it'll have a physical effect on us, even a physical effect. I mean, if anxiety is an emotion, then believing and trusting in the truth should change the way we physically feel about the danger around us, how we see him, how we see the problems. This is important because if you are caught saying things like, yeah, but this doesn't work for me, right? And I know that's tempting for the anxious person to have someone try to minister to you and for you to say, no, but that doesn't work for me. I've tried that passage. That passage is ineffective on me or that way of thinking about anxiety. It's not effective for me or how God is allegedly looking after me. It's not effective for me. It works when it's trusted. It does work, friend. It works when it's trusted, though. This is why Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. There's a lack of faith in the moment. So matter, listen, no matter what you have in front of you right now, no matter what your hypervigilance is leading you to stare at, no matter what is threatening to destroy you, trust that you will be given everything you need by your Father who sees all that you need. You have to trust that. And, and just as a minor application, if I was to make it even more applicable, when anxiety does come, go ahead and allow yourself to feel it for a moment. Be honest with the fact that it's there. This sounds odd. Let it troll you. Let it stalk you without dismissing it with some dumb platitude you don't even believe, with some pithy statement that you're pretty sure isn't going to work anyway. Let it sit there for a moment. Be honest with it. Don't let it distract you. Don't try to ignore it. Let it expose your heart. Fear will do that. When we face our fears, it exposes our heart, but a heart that's exposed is ready to receive the gospel. The gospel is perfect for an open, anxious heart. A heart that receives the gospel has all that it needs in this world and in the next. And that, friends, will give you a peace. This is what the Bible means when it says a peace beyond understanding. In fact, I'll just turn there. It's going to be in Philippians. Philippians 4, I'm just going to read it to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but Luke, that doesn't make sense. Well, of course not. It's exceeding understanding. It's not logical. So of course it's not going to make sense that some of you will have peace in moments where it doesn't make sense that you would have any peace. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me and we'll, we'll get out of this sermon. But as you stand and as you guys prepare yourself to worship the Lord, just to remind you, we will have the elements in the back behind this section. And you can always go there um, with the family. You can go there with your comm group. You can go there by yourself. You know, when the lights go down and the singing is going on, that's a real good time to go back there and take communion. And just to reflect on these truths, to reflect on what you're hearing. Because listen, when we take communion, and this is something we reserve for the church, whenever you take communion, what is that if it's not just God showing you how he has handled your ultimate nightmare? A body broken and blood spilled out is God's answer to your ultimate nightmare. And that it need not terrorize you any longer or any shade or color therein. But if you were a Christian here today, 
You have an opportunity to repent. There's room for repentance here. And what would you repent for? For trying to be God. For trying to be God. Only he can operate with total cosmic control. That's something only he can do. Only God sees what's coming your way. Only God can be trusted. He vacated the grave. He ended our nightmare. He quieted all the noise for us. And he doesn't just love you, he loves you as a father loves a child. There's no, nar- no nightmare for us. We're conquerors in Christ. That's our light motif. God is strong, he has a loving hand, he sees our needs, he will supply not only our needs, but the needs that we have where we will reflect his glory the deepest, which is where our deepest satisfaction is hidden. And listen, if you're here and you're far from Christ, you may be a skeptic, you might be a searcher, either way, or maybe you had something happen when you were a kid and you're not sure really what happened, but you're probably in your mind not a genuine Christian or however you would put a title to it. If this is you, listen, you might have anxiety because you feel like everything is coming apart and you have no idea how true that is. Everything is coming apart. All of creation is groaning. It is all coming unstitched. It was fractured by sin, frustrated by sin. And Jesus comes to undo all of this, God coming to mankind to undo all of this, to bring his kingdom reign, beginning with his people now, extending outward whenever it's gonna be fulfilled. So I just challenge you to give your treasures and your nightmares to Jesus. Give your treasures and your nightmares. Give your whole life to the one who calls himself Father and let him take care of you with his kind hand. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. There are times, Lord, where I want you to take an anxious heart away from me. And I know I can pray for the other worry-ridden, terrorized, anxious people in the room and even those who live alongside them. How I, It's just so tempting to say, just, Lord, take it away. But God, I know it is a cue for me to trust you deeper, to rearrange my trust, to repent for trying to be God, for relaxing my grip, for becoming less toxic. So Father, in that, you are showing your love. Lord, I I ask that for all the people in this room that have an anxious heart right now, they're losing sleep, they're having a hard time having conversations or even getting through a meal without that bar of music in their head telling them that they will be destroyed. Lord, that you will rest in them, that your Holy Spirit will show them how you can be trusted, you can be trusted to give us all things. That you, you can be trusted to lead us to the place where we are so saturated in you, we reflect your glory and we enjoy you so much that we never want that moment to end. We never want that moment to end. And you're leading us towards that. And you'll give us everything we need. Death, life, it doesn't matter. You'll give us everything we need. So Lord, you are so good to us and we're such a thankful people. I pray that you would give us hearts to repent. I pray that you would give us hearts to receive your kind care. We love you and we're very, very thankful. And it's in your name we pray, amen.